0: This is supposed to be the big reveal. <laughs> oh, man. Oh, nice. oh,
1: there we go. <laughs> and thank you very much for uh, for putting on your best human impression, Mr. Droid, to be with us, Mr. Uh, uh, Marty. Bernice, right?
2: No, Brennis, like tennis. As I, ten, I said it was Brenice.
1: Thank you, thank you, thank you for being here, Mr. Miles. Hey, with my pleasure. Coming. Martin, thank you very much for being here
0: today. You are welcome. Well, thank you for taking the time to talk to us today, Reed. Glad to be here. Thank you for having me. No, because awesome. who, the, who the fuck knows what a duck coach is, you know? I mean,
3: <laughs> no. you know, it's crazy. No, we
1: do, and we're all the okay. better for it. Steven Kravitz, thank you very much for taking the time to talk to us today.
3: Hey, thanks for having me.
1: Well, honestly, you
0: are the first people that want to talk about Howard the Duck.
3: How did you dig you up Howard the Duck?
0: <laughs> they called me and they said, we need your help. And I said, what for? Well, they gave us the green light for Howard the Duck. And I said, what are you kidding me? Let me show you this. I'm gonna go into my file. Literally, my this is my Howard the Duck file, and I haven't opened this
4: in years. I I love the idea that you're you're getting into Howard the Duck. It's it's such a, a weird. It, it has become cult status. Yeah, yeah. yeah. We didn't
1: do it. No one else is gonna do is We're really the only people equipped to bring this yeah. back up. Yeah.
4: <laughs> you guys really did
0: your homework too. I gotta say, I'm very impressed with all the scratching around you did. It's great.
1: How did you end up getting the role in Howard the Duck?
3: You know, I, I wish I could answer that truthfully, but I have no idea. But here's here's a picture that kind
0: of, this is what I did on Howard the Duck, okay? There's me talking to Ed Gale. You see, I got the script in my hand, and I've got the hey, headphones on. Emilio
1: Estevez ain't got shit on you. You're the real duck coach, all right? I'll tell you that right now. Thank like, you.
5: Well, of course, this was a very you know coveted role, uh, first trucker. Uh, many people competed for that.
3: The only thing I remember, it was a night shoot. And I got to make out with a very pretty girl.
5: I actually took a pie in the face from the duck. Now, if you're doing comedy, and you haven't taken a pie in the face you really haven't you haven't been (laughs) right right
0: i was spending a lot of time in la at that time and Gloria and willard became very close friends of mine and all during the writing of howard the duck it was you know i can't believe you're writing a movie of howard the duck i mean it was just the the idea was just so mind-boggling i guess
5: the casting people liked me and i looked like the right type and so it really wasn't a big deal they just said yeah you're cast you got the part i was thrilled
0: It was weird because people would come to the set and, and you know, I mean, I got a plenty healthy ego, but I don't need to have it stroked all the time. So, like, I'd be off in the corner and I'd be doing my thing like this and I'd be talking to these people. So, obviously, like, you know, I would say Willard and he would say what? And I would come over like, you know, I would get everybody's attention if I needed it. So, like, when the guy from Rolling Stone came, he finally pulled me aside. He said, excuse me, I've got to ask you this question. Who the fuck are you? And I said,
3: well, I'm you know. The duck, I'm the
1: duck coach, bitch. <laughs> <laughs> I should have said that.
3: Yeah,
1: there you go. When you are, like, all that you guys do is uh, you're you're making out. That's like right. the, um, the beginning and end of your interaction. Oh, so. and I
3: slipped it in the
2: tongue.
1: Thank you
2: very much. <laughs> there you go. My stuff was all in the uh, visual effects world, except on Howard the Duck. <laughs> On the Duck movie, I actually got to go work in the practical effects world. Initially at ILM, I was given the task of doing the radio control system. Mm-hmm. Um, they came to me and said, we want the principal character of this movie to be a radio controlled puppet. And I went, you're knocking futz. Yes. You played
1: uh, Bender. Bender. And this is one of, the, one of the first humans that Howard encounters. In yeah. fact, he's, he's thrust upon you by the, uh, the goons in the alley as
4: nice. Wait, that's my day!
5: Yeah, Yeah, that's my day. (laughs) You know, working with Willard and Gloria, these guys, this was sort of a vanity project for them because I think they had written one of the Indiana Jones. Mm -hmm. uh, Right, so basically they're like, okay guys, you can do whatever you want. Bob McDonald Jr., who was the uh, effects supervisor, he said, great, I need a guy
2: that can program in Z80 microcode direct machine language. And what he hadn't factored in was in San Francisco with people from Silicon Valley. Hi there. I'm trained, I have an electronics technology degree. And yes, I program Z80 microcontrollers in machine language in my head. What would you like?
5: it was it was exciting because this was a george lucas production and they said no no george is on board as executive producer
0: and the studio said yes but we have to get it ready for christmas i think it was 87 so we have 15 months to get this movie made
3: all i remember is shooting my scene basically and being very um anxious because it was my first speaking role this is my first role you know mm-hmm. what i mean and yeah. i was lucky enough to get a speaking part
2: i was able to design a system I dismantled some uh, RC control systems and repackaged them. So they had inputs, I called it the Duckmaster, so they could make custom control thingies that plugged in and so
0: they can have custom manipulators. And after about a week or two, I went back to them and I said, guys, listen, you've got, you've got puppeteers working over here doing a puppet, and you've got these dwarfs over here that are being fitted for all these, these, these suits. You've got these creature makers that are making these mechanisms to make this duckbill move, but you've got nobody playing a character here. And this, this script has got, I mean, he's got every, he's in every scene, he's got every funny line, and there's nobody minding the store. And they said, "Yeah, that's a good point." And
5: I said, "So that's what you need." And they said, "Great, that's what you do." We were all thinking, uh, "When this is a hit, we, you know, we will have an open career
4: path." So it was pretty exciting. I go from an exterior shot to an interior shot, and the exterior was shot, I believe, in November, and it was shot in the south of Market neighborhood of San Francisco, which at the time was just warehouses and rundown buildings and light industry. And then the interior was gonna be shot later, possibly even a couple months later. I had about four weeks of pre-production and
0: then I was on every single day of
5: production of that movie. I was there for
4: a little over three weeks. Um, it, It was a long shoot. So. By the time the interior shot comes around, the production is kind of as as near as I can tell, like not really in control much. It's it's not it's not going smoothly.
0: Over time, and you see what's happening on the set and you watch the dailies and it's just like this, you kind of realize, oh my god, this could be like, you know, a real stinker but you gotta get out of bed in the morning. So how do you do that? You gotta find something to hang on to. It's sort of like the cliche of actors having to love their characters, you know? You gotta find, got find something to, to pin your coat on with the character, and you gotta find something to get you out of bed in the morning. Um, I, I was prepared for the worst, uh, I really was. They were pretty insulated in terms of, you know, is this any good? I want everybody for an hour every other morning in a room together why well i don't know we got to get to know each other we got to get to know howard so i started showing them um honeymooners episodes you know ralph Cramden. and i said okay guys this is howard the duck i did a system where i could remote the transmitter on a on a cable
2: and place the transmitter under the set or they could place the transmitter within you know a few meters of the duck so that there was for sure a good strong signal Mm -hmm. um And they
0: didn't lose any production time due to radio failures. We had tremendous technical problems because that was right at the end of the era of practical effects. In fact, while we were shooting at ILM, they were doing what I believe is the first uh, CGI in any major picture, which was the uh, young Sherlock Holmes, you know, that sequence with the stained glass window, which took them like six months. And so I was sent over and switched from
2: ILM to working with production in his team. I actually did way more than, than the guy he was going to bring up. The guy he was bringing up was a programmer type and not much of an electronics person. And he had this thing called deagle duck, which was a programmable pneumatic operated stunt duck. So when Howard falls off the roof and lands in the dumpster, uh, that's the deagle duck.
0: Uh, and it's flailing as it's going down. We had hand puppets, close-up puppets. We had dwarves in suits with radio-controlled heads. We had stunt dwarves. I mean, it was just, it was it was all over the place, but it took a lot of time.
4: I go into the Muburray, and as I walk in, Gloria Katz is coming out. She's walking out, and she has this expression on her face like her life is a wool sweater being slowly unraveled by some nail behind her she's just like walking through and she kind of gives me this glance and hustles by i'm like all right those of us who were there noticed that there was kind of like you know a
5: guy in a rubber suit i mean is this really working um you know is this concept even accessible does it is it funny is it dramatic is it sci-fi is it what is it i think that's the big dilemma with the original is that
1: there was like a push and pull between the creatives and the suits where some people wanted to go uh go dark with it and um and pay honor to the comics yeah, while the suits wanted to make sure they were able to sell toys and then right. so we got this weird hybrid of sex jokes he smokes cigarettes you oh, can't fucking sell toys
4: without, they smoke cigarettes yeah well, and well in front of me probably about 20 feet hmm. there is george lucas and i'm guessing the cinematographer or a lighting director somebody because mm-hmm. george was only like he you know and you guys would know this better than i do you know this was he was executive producing he wasn't really supposed to be hands-on with this this was willard this was willard and gloria's deal and so he's on set and he's he's talking to to some light like i said i don't know who who it was but they're standing there and george like you know he's you know, and then the this other guy's like, okay, well, you know, they're obviously talking about setting up the shot and then what to do next and whatever. Over to my left, their right, Willard is standing. And he's probably ten feet away. And he's just he's just standing, looking. And as George and this guy, you know, they're they're talking, you know, what about this? Willard says something. He's where he's standing, he like says something. And George turns and just gives him this look of death, like I have never seen before. Just stares at him. Willard stands there, and then George turns back to this guy and they start talking. And then things continue. (laughs) He got blamed.
0: You know, he was the fall guy. You know, I mean, George Lucas was untouchable, so somebody's got to, you know, shovel the shit, right? Or have the shit shoveled on him, and that's Willard, you know.
3: At that point, I had no experience, so I didn't know what to expect. You know what I mean? I was yeah. just told what they wanted from me, and I gave it to them.
5: So there was kind of an uh, an overtone of feeling, of, you know, as a youngish actor on set. I just, you know, did my job and got all excited, and looked at it as a challenge and thought, hey, these guys know what they're doing. I'm just this new newbie, you know, let them have yeah. at it. Apparently a lot happens in post-production and it's going to be all right. <laughs> but yeah, all right. exactly.
1: <laughs> we were having fun. It was a fun movie. I kind
2: of figured it might not fly as well. You know, part of the thing I didn't like was how cartoonish the duck, we had a much better duck early
3: on. I thought they didn't portray Howard the Duck in the light that I'd known him from the comics. I'm a big comic book fan. You know, it's it's a character and so you've got to
0: Actors know characters and know how to play comedy, and we were very limited with how fast we could speak because it was the, you know, the speed of that little motor, because all those motors could do is turn one way or the other way, because it's adoptive technology from model airplanes, these little things. So all the mechanisms making the eyeball move had to, had to be reduced from a little motor the size of a matchbox doing this or that.
1: That that, man yeah see our first interaction with howard the duck it came out when we were three years old i think uh, i saw it when i was like six or seven my introduction to howard the duck was the film not the comic so it holds a special place in our hearts as far as like we look back at it fondly
0: so you know a movie you know movie crew arrives at a set you know the director and the photographer they want to go and like block out the scene you know and and I would go, because it took like an hour or two for Ed Gale to put on the suit, right? And so I'd go and I'd sort of be Howard and Willard would say, okay, no, so Howard comes running down this staircase and then he spins around and goes over here. And I'd say, well, that's great, except he can't run because Ed, inside the suit, can't see outside.
4: He can only see out the bill when the bill is open. Now I'm doing the second part where I am being thrust into the club. And, <laughs> and then Ed had a little thing in his ear Uh, that the main
0: puppeteer, uh, uh, Tim Rose, was operating the the beak. And he was in the next room and it was all radio control. We had a whole duck unit. We had our own slave cameras and we had our own communication system. So that Ed was hearing the lines and he was kind of miming while this was going on. But he was sweating inside that suit. And so the the eyeballs would would completely uh, uh, fog up and literally he could only see out of the beak.
4: My shot, I'm getting Howard. I am being thrust backwards and while holding Howard, and then he gets handed off. Well, there's all these cables lying around. There's all, like, and so we do a rehearsal, and, I, and I'm and i stumbling over my, my heels. Do you see this picture? Yeah!
0: That's oh, yeah. Ed, Ed Gale's mouth inside the Howard the Duck.
4: So we do a take, and they thrust Howard into my hands, and I'm being pushed backwards, and I trip over one of the cables and my first thought is save the duck (laughs) and I fall back I'm falling backwards and I'm hoping I'm gonna land on my butt but I'm also like I've got to cushion Howard (laughs) and as I'm falling backwards I look through the mouth of of the costume and I see these huge terrified <laughs> eyes staring at me as I'm falling backwards and it's like and so I manage to fall really well I cushion him I he, he doesn't hit anything I like, like my I, he's he's okay and when I hit the ground these crew members come running over and they grab Howard and they go are you okay you okay you okay and they just leave me lying there and i'm like I, I'm, I'm okay so here's this is this is a piece of paper dated
0: february 17th 1986. it's one two three four five six seven pages of people that screen tested for the voice of howard the duck wow and some of them were people that i suggested and we brought them up to the set and some of them were people that the casting people did i mean on the, f- the first page is people te- already tested by Lucasfilm. Martin Short, John Biner, Jay Leno, Joe regal Robert Picardo, Robin Williams, Ernie Facilius, Mike Pritchard, Howie Mandel, he was one of my ideas, Kevin Pollack, John Lithgow, another one of my ideas, Chip Zion, Jeff Goldblum, Eugene Levy. And some of these guys like uh, uh, Jeff <laughs> yeah. Goldblum, Jay Leno, and Robin, they came to the set and I showed them around and showed them all the tricks. And, um, and Robin just talks too fast. It just it just mm. he, it just couldn't make it it just you know mm. but in his screen test he did some improvs which kind of ended up in the movie i've got to say
1: <laughs> yeah. really
0: yeah that line about get get ready to eat beak that's <laughs> that's a robin williams improv right there <laughs> yeah. so there was one night on the set where uh it was a really stormy night in san francisco and you know when it gets rainy and stormy in the bay area it's really rainy and stormy too and tensions were rising high because we had the set of uh, beverly's uh, apartment her kind of loft you know but the trouble was the rain was so loud that the sound crew was picking it up so we were losing a lot of time and willard was getting really hot under the collar okay And so, like I said before, you know, we all the duck people had these earwigs and we could talk to each other. I had a little microphone, you know, I've got pictures of that, too. Um, And all of a sudden, uh, I saw Howard, because we would shut Howard down in between takes to save the batteries. So all of a sudden, I saw the face just going like this, like this. And I'm like, what's going on? What is going on back there? And then I heard this voice, oh, Earth, Earth to Howard, Earth to Howard, like this. And it was Robin had like found his way onto the set, gone back to where the puppeteers were and was just like playing. You know, he had the slave camera and he was making the mouth go and he's like talking into the mic. It's like Wizard of Oz. It's like, you know, somebody stumbling in past the curtain and going, oh, look, I can make the smoke machine work. And I was like, not now, Robin, shut the fuck up, please. We're having a meltdown here, no, not now. You know, cause he would drop by, but that was, that was just one of those like, holy shit, if we survive this, you know, we're going to get stripes on our sleeve or something, you know, so. Wow.
1: Uh, (laughs) A new
0: story that ends
1: with Robin, shut the fuck up.
0: Uh, I mean, he had had free reign on the set. He used to come around a lot and stuff, but that night was just like, and as you say, who gets to say shut the fuck up to Robin
5: Williams? (laughs) Everett Creech is this old stunt coordinator who's like, from westerns and stuff like that he comes up and he, you know throws his arm around me and he's like kid we're gonna have you do some, some stunt work here Are you up for that and I was like yeah sure you know you don't say no he's like, yeah give it to me I want stunt work he throws me in with the stunt crew right so all these old grizzled stunt performers and coordinators and stuff like that and while you're waiting with these guys they're like hey you want to play liar's poker I was like sure what's that and they're like oh great you have any single dollar bills on you i was like sure i got a few in my pocket here so they they're teaching me how to play liars poker and i and i keep losing I'm like what? how the fuck? why am i losing dollar after dollar to these stunt guys and it it turns out it's kind of a a thing that they do with with newbies they bring dollars that already have a lot of winning numbers so uh. they know they they have stacked the odds and they're just waiting for some chump like me to come along <laughs> and to take me for every single dollar bill i have that's really a a great memory for me was was being initiated by these guys you know, right in the, in the beginning there's a scene
0: or there was one of the first days we shot in the museum when they take Howard to the museum and there's there's Dr. Chapin is in that and the guy has a lab card and it says Dr. Chapin. I forget, I think, it's, I think it may be Tommy, uh, uh, Tommy Swerdlow's character is Dr. Chapin.
4: It's nothing! <laughs> it's nothing, never mind! <laughs> Carry on, Dr. Chapin.
0: You know, and Phil Blumbert uh, who Tim Robbins' character, I mean, that's a mutual friend of Gloria Willard's and mine, a guy named Phil Blumberg, and we're still friends. And they that's sneak so awesome. they, they sneak that name into all their movies. In uh, the Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom, when they're at the table eating the monkey brains, and there's that
5: British colonel, that's Colonel Blumberg. You know, they built this set, this cafe, and they built it on a gimbal so that they could tilt it and all of the stuff in the set would rush to one wall because when the Dark Overlord guy was doing his thing, I'd never been on anything like that before. And this was, we you could see a tape here, it says the dangler, because the, the airplane was
0: dangling from here and the cameras were kind of strapped in there. And this was, you know, the Hardys. But there were a lot of things in there of like crashing the ultralight,
2: modifying <laughs> a, a crane truck to put the ultralight out on the end of it. And that was one where the machinist that made the prop, he machined this, this prop to go on the shaft. And this was one of our, our high precision machinists. And, and he didn't understand about occasionally, you don't need so much precision. And, and this, this thing fit on the shaft very nicely, beautifully, perfectly machined. But when you're holding a, Ten kilo thing out, and you're you're reaching out to get it onto the shaft, and you know it's this tall, and the shaft's big around, and and, and it has to be lined up absolutely perfectly to slide right. up. That's where you realize you don't need that much precision. You want some slop in there so you can get the
0: Give me a little off. slack. Give
1: me a little slack there. <laughs> That's
2: too
0: rough. But, but he was eating his own dog food. You, you know those guys are, are hot dogs, I mean, you know, and the stunt helicopter, the stunt pilot who drove his own helicopter to the set every day, he would do like 360s in the helicopter when he left, you know, eat my dust kind of thing. One of the people on his crew was somebody that I was like,
4: oh,
2: you're cool, um, was his dad, Bob McDonald Sr., who was a practical effects guy on one of my all-time favorite films, The Wizard of Oz.
5: The cafe scene that I was in uh, was actually a Cajun sushi restaurant, and somewhere in my archives, in a box, a plastic box somewhere, I still have the menu from the Howard the Duck Cajun sushi place. Um, It's an obscure little trivia fact, but you know, if you look carefully in that scene, you will see somehow an identification that it's Cajun sushi, which is actually kind of pretty ahead of its time if you think about it. Then the, one of the big things I built was the uh,
2: neutron gun. I did the strobe sequence in that, timed with the shutter. Well, one of the things about Howard the Duck, it was one of the very first movies to record the video tap. They, they had a, a camera on the viewfinder of the of the film camera. And so that's called a video tap. And they got this idea of sending that over to a person with some three quarter inch decks and they would record that. So that then the director could play it back and see on set what the scene was like.
1: Nice. Well, yeah.
2: what that got was the viewfinder <coughs> stuff. And so the first time they fire off the neutron disintegrator gun, they look at the video back and they don't see any strobes in it. And they come to me all panicked and i'm like cool that means it worked
1: huh? <laughs> that's awesome
0: Willard's is hanging in there and he's still living i mean gloria left us about a year and a half ago uh and willard sold his house uh and moved into a, an apartment uh in beverly hills he's got a new girlfriend and uh he's writing he keeps writing you know and, and i think he's more at home uh as a writer than he is with uh, on a set and when you get to know him and then you see like uh like in american graffiti There's there's a moment where Charlie Martin Smith, somebody that he's he's like bullshitting his girl and he goes hunting. Yeah, I'm going hunting this weekend. And he goes hunting. You mean you're like killing defenseless animals and he's got he's nonplussed. He goes, well, bears. I mean, I thought bears would be okay You know, that is so Willard Hike, you know. And when he when he lets the fart rip in the car, and somebody goes, "Ooh, ca- ooh cut the cheese!" That that is so Willard Hike. And if you know him, you see those moments, you know. But that's you know, it's like with any writer, especially a comedy writer, you know, when you get to know the personality, it's like yeah, well, you see signature. them. Yeah, yeah you
1: can see it.
4: Well, I I think my favorite part was was falling backwards with the human in the Howard costume. I had a, I had fun working on it because I did.
2: Pneumatic doors. I did hydraulics. I worked on the hydraulic system for the thing where he goes
0: flying through all the walls. For me, the the, the experience of being in the Bay Area for nine months uh, and getting paid enough money that on the day off I had a week, I could basically you know go to any restaurant I wanted and pick up the check for six people, you know, and get my car fixed was just like brilliant.
2: And uh, wound up scuba diving. Uh, as a rescue diver in the Fireman's Fun Fountain when we crashed the Ultralight.
5: Well, I mean, it was, you know, it was really an amazing experience for me.
2: I spent six weeks in, a, in the submarine bay in Hunters Point tying up Leah Thompson. It was freezing in there, it
0: was 32 degrees. This is, this is me on the second unit, me and Tom Wright, who was the second unit director. This is, well, this is the cast and crew photograph. In the on the, the this is duck world the miniature duck world in the opening quack, but this is this quack, is the what <laughs> me and Ed you know there we are in the doctor's oh office that's so good you know man. here I am oh, hiding in the shadows with my little microphone you know trying to stay out of the way yeah, here's we... me and uh, and Howard and that's Willard and we're at the Kittyland, land which I think is where the, they find the airplane uh, which was in the Na- uh, lower Napa Valley down in Carneros. You know, here's me and Willard just kind of laughing and scratching together.
4: It was just such a, a weird thing to do, you know, was being involved yeah. in this thing with this guy in a duck suit.
3: It was real quick. It, it was an experience that um, was fulfilling.
5: There is a shit ton of money spent on movies, on making films. And um, it doesn't matter if it's a piece of crap movie or it's a magnificently realized piece of art. The money that goes into it means that everybody who's there is doing their level professional best. They're bringing their A game and it doesn't matter. So if you're making a movie, you don't waste anybody's time. You don't waste anybody's money. It's, It's not an option for you. And I think that's the biggest lesson as a movie actor that you can, you can bring to the set. Howard the got mixed reviews. Some loathed it, and actually some loved it. When
1: you saw it for the first time, what was your reaction?
3: I didn't care for it. This is the first
0: review that I saw in a San Francisco paper, okay, the date book. This is a uh, Gerald Knockman at the movies. It's also the only review that mentions me. So I have that in here. It says um, someone credited as the duck coach. And then in parentheses, it says Miles Chapin, who did a yeoman job.
4: I have, I noticed in the questions you sent me, you know, I was, I was in Leonard part six. So if I had been an Ishtar, I would have had a trifecta of the three worst movies of of that era. (laughs) So I was that close to nailing it.
0: And then my brother Ted came to see it at a screening, and I think it was when the, that Jeffrey's character, the tongue comes out and goes into the light socket, and the, and my brother turned to me and he said, my daughter is not going to see this movie. <laughs> and I thought, wow. okay, this
4: is, this is is this is something, this is something here. There were parts I liked, but it did not capture the spirit of the comic book, because the comic book you know as you as you know howard is very acerbic and and he's just dealing with stuff as the theme goes he's trapped in a world he never made so he's just dealing because the character in the comic book is so cool
0: and i don't think we did full justice to it and it's it's a great character but you need you need something you need cgi i mean cgi can do it because that duck's got to be propulsive he's got to he's got to propel every single scene he's got to be explosive he's got to be hilarious and uh you know, we—I don't think we—we—we we, we fulfilled the prophecy. You know, I mean, I don't think we—we we didn't do it. How did it feel to see Howard the Screen get his respect paid in in Avengers Endgame?
3: Yeah, He's how Endgame. about that, huh? He had a yeah. little cameo there. Just a little cameo. Like, I was like,
1: I—I I, I rewatched that scene thirty times. Like, look at little Howard. Love right. All these
3: years,
1: <laughs> he finally made it.
3: That That's was a great cameo for him. That was great that was cameo. Great. That, and that, actually, that, that set up the stage for them to do a reboot of Howard the Duck. Yes.
4: Now that, you know, CGI has advanced so much, obviously do CGI.
3: If I was to remake Howard the Duck, I would make it grittier. I would make it darker.
4: Make him look more like the comic book character. You know, get somebody there who really understands what the writer was going for, that he's you know, this, he's absurdic. He's confused. He, you know, he's, he's completely out of his element. He wants to get back home. He, but, you know, somehow he's, he's thrust to all these adventures. I mean, I remember one of them was, uh, hell cow, the vampire cow that he had to deal with. So yeah. focus more on, you know, really, you know, getting his character and what he's going through. Um, and give him give him an edge because he was he was an edgy character and i think the other marvel characters would have a great time with them
0: well no i mean we'll see where this goes is this crazy howard the duck energy right now it's funny because when the principal photography ended uh it was midsummer and i went to martha's vineyard uh with some friends and martha's vineyard it was like a pretty high-powered party i was in at martha's vineyard it was, you know, a lot of you know a lot of you know I don't need to tell you who goes to, I mean, Barack Obama is there now. Right. So I'm telling stories. People said, well, you know, where have you've been in California, working on Howard, Howard the Duck like this. And I started telling these stories and it was like everybody was, oh my God. And one of the editors of Time magazine came over and he said, listen, would you like to write this for the magazine? And I said, well, no, I don't really thought. And then somebody else came over and he said, you know, I'm at Random House. Would you like a book deal? Cause we'd like to hear about, and I said, like, guys, if I write this book, I'll never work in Hollywood again. It's like, I'll burn every bridge, you know, because it's it's just, I was fresh off of it and just like, you know, I really needed to shake it off because it was was a very intense experience, you know, and then having it be uh, as much of a stinker as it was, I mean, look at, and uh, my movie career never really sort of, uh, Milos was the only person who kind of would hire me after that, you know, and it was funny. That was when I began to write and I mean, that was why I started writing was I wanted to take more control of, of my own creative life a little bit, you know, so, you know, it's just funny. It's just the path that uh, people's careers go in, you know. Thank
1: you. Thank again, Marty. It's been a pleasure. Uh, you've done so many amazing things that hopefully our paths will cross again. We would love to. Talk thank to you for another know. hour and a half. If you're ever in the Santa Fe
2: area, let me know and I can show you the studio. I live here. I, I never know. He said it now.
1: Fantastic. Oh, we gotta go. We'll see you tomorrow, Marty. Yes, <laughs> <sit down. laughs> Wow. Thank you so much, man. I really appreciate you taking it's time. Like <laughs> the, the stories. Listen, I will never let anybody talk bad about Duck Hawkins for the rest of my life. <laughs> you are or the Is duck. that many people talking bad about
3: Duck?
1: <laughs> no, but I, they won't be. Not on my watch
3: hey thank, thank you so guys much. I really thank had you. a good
1: time All right, thank too. you thank you have a good take one bye bye alright brother thank you so All much right. you be safe and mean. peace of love to
5: your family thank you thanks you, you
1: too have a good rest of your weekend alright thanks alright take, take care bye bye thank you so much again be safe out there if you need anything let us
0: know we'll be talking to you soon okay cool will do take care guys All All have a Thank good you. bye right.
4: right, have a fabulous weekend and continued success with the podcast thank you uh, I think it's gonna. I think it's gonna continue to be big fun. I think that you're you've hit on something here.
1: Thank you very much. I appreciate it.
4: You're welcome. All right. All the best. There. Have a good weekend. You too. Take care.